0: Welcome to the Movement Underground Radio with your hosts, Mike Stella and Anthony Pranzo. What do high-performance athletes and people have in common? High-performance mindsets. We are here to take an underground look at the stories behind the athletes, therapists, trainers, and people who push their own limits so that we may expand our own. Take a deep dive underground with us in 3, 2, 1...
1: All right, guys, welcome back to the Movement Underground Radio. This is your host, Mike Stella, and I have my good friend and physical therapist, Adam Wolf, with me today. I'm really excited for this one. Adam is a tremendously bright clinician uh, who has a pretty storied tale to tell, Um, and he just released his second book called The Foundations of Movement, A Brain-Based Musculoskeletal Approach. And uh, so I got the Kindle version midweek last week. And I actually just got the the actual hard copy, the paperback, um, in the mail yesterday. So I have perused through a good chunk of it. I kind of skim read a bunch of the chapters and, and, and read in more depth the chapters that Adam kind of highlighted for me. But I'm definitely going to dive much deeper into this, especially now that I have the paperback. But Adam, welcome
0: to the show. Mike, uh, thank you, man. It's nice to be here. No, Always a pleasure to hang awesome. out and talk to you
1: yes yes and it's it's funny adam's one of those guys uh you know another rock tape instructor who when i first met i was kind of intimidated by because i i knew of him and i knew how intelligent he is but then as soon as we got down to talking it was just like oh man like kind of cut from the same cloth so and then you've always been somebody i've kind of gravitated towards in the last couple instructor summits to just yeah
0: hear it's been nice to hang out approach. and it's nice because yeah you know i'm kind of the guy that's not in the middle of everything i tend to be in the background with my hands in my pocket and my hood up whenever I can, right? But uh, and that's just got to do with like my anxiety, <laughs> and so I don't tend to be I tend to be pretty quiet most times until I'm engaged and then I get going. But yeah, it's uh, it's fun to be yeah, here, man. Can, Thank you. You can Thanks like flip a switch,
1: book. right? You flip a switch when you're like into it. It's like like all, like there's that intensity that comes with it.
0: Yeah, that is true. Like I'm not really good at small talk. It makes me uncomfortable, <laughs> and so I tend to not do a lot of it. But when then when I do, I kind of. The, the the terms i've heard is throw up at you so i'm good at that <laughs>
1: hey listen man yeah, anytime, anytime you want to throw up at me I'll, I'll you know i'm more than willing to because i always learn something um oh, and it's been you. really cool to, to to browse through your book and you know obviously i read the first few chapters in quite a bit of depth and and honestly it's very validating for me in a lot of ways because obviously we have a, a similar approach in in many ways i think i think you're definitely a a bunch of steps ahead of me in terms of kind of thought processing and these higher level, you know, brain-based functions where that you integrate it. But as I learn more about like a brain-based approach, it's almost like it's like, man, I didn't know that before. But it's also really validating that I'm already on the right track. And so, um, so far, that's kind of the feeling that I've gotten is is not only validating, you know, from the manual therapy and the, and, and like the neurological side of things, but also. Um, really showing a nice, cool, clear path of things that I want to kind of dive into in the future. And so any clinician, regardless of um, you know, what background you are, whether you're an athletic trainer, physical therapist, massage therapist, chiropractor, even a medical doctor would gain a lot from, from your book. I, I think it's a really succinct way to kind of wrap. And again, this is such a complicated topic. You know, it's not something that you could just like really direct about. And so can you, um, the first thing I really wanted to talk about, and maybe this, this is a way that you can lead into it is, you know, obviously you have your practice, the movement guild in Chicago. Um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your story and, you know, the, 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 the path and maybe like the highlights, like either mentors or people that you've crossed paths with crossed paths with in your career that have really guided you down this rabbit hole and kind of led to what the movement guild is now as a business
0: yeah absolutely well first i talk about rabbit holes in the book uh and and what they are and my opinions on them so you'll get there it's in the muscle testing chapter but uh and and before i tell my story i just want to kind of agree with you about what you said about learning you know validating your thought processes and those types of things because that was really my experience uh, with what I just kind of clinical neuroscience is one term I've heard. Functional neurology is another term I've heard. Brain-based approach. So there's all these different ways to say it. But really, what it is in my my opinion is like understanding that the brain really drives everything. And so when I was first starting to be exposed to these type of thought processes, it was also very validating for me because it 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 sort of began to fill in the holes in terms of why I felt. Some people that I work with or worked with didn't get better as fast as I would expect them to. And so that's really what began to make a difference. And and my interests, certainly over the past four or five years, and I'll share with you kind of how I got there, but my interest has been in understanding better what I call a subclinical integration dysfunction right and meaning like you don't have like a clinical integration you don't have dizziness you're not have like a traumatic brain injury you didn't have a concussion you didn't have any of these what we would be diagnosed as clinical dysfunction of the systems but i've been really interested in sort of the subclinical integration and the, the way that i think about it is where is the opportunity for improvement in the way the brain really takes up information because that's really what the brain does is it know it takes up information through the various systems and 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 my experience is that when dysfunction arises a lot of times when there's a discrepancy between what the brain the information the brain receives from the different systems and the three major systems we could say is proprioception uh, vision and vestibular and then there's of course they're so interrelated and you can't just have proprioception without vestibular and vision, and you can't have vestibular without vision and proprioception. So right. they're interrelated, and that's something that I think we need to say. And so, so that's been a, a big thought process, and like a uh, driver of mine is to understand the, those, the brain a little better and how the brain takes up information. And at the very simple level, like as I've been writing this book, and over the past even few weeks, thinking about and talking about the book a little bit more and also that you know, has helped me to develop by teaching with rock tape a lot is like we talk about pain as an output and that makes a ton of sense and so if pain's an output then we need to change the input but then the question becomes well what input to change because right. there's you know, different inputs are going to have different things and some of them will be desirable and some of them won't be and if you don't understand what you're driving or what should occur then how do you see if it happens so that's where a lot of my passion has been if you think about like the neck is directly related to uh otolithic function right if we think your cervical spine is if we think about the shoulder and you know the rubrospinal tract for instance innervates kind of provides proximal stability into the into the shoulders and the hips and part, some of the rubrospinal tract has to go through the medial vestibular nucleus on the way up and and then on the way out and so then the question you start thinking well then that means shoulder pain has clinical has, then has vestibular dysfunction and can we drive more stability or whatever we're going to in the shoulder by maybe getting into the vestibular system or the, and then if you're in the vestibular system, then you're in the ocular system because it's vestibular ocular. And so it just, it's really become, it's exciting for me to keep learning really what it is. And, and I, my background has always been, and I'll sort of wind this into my story a little bit, but my background into been through uh, applied functional science, integrated movement. You've got a big smile on your face, man. I don't know. Yeah. I
1: was just going to say, I was going to interject, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Adam Wolf, because <laughs> like that, like that little blurb is exactly the voice that I was, I'm reading your book through. Like it, just because I know you now and it's, it's such a trip that I'm reading it and hearing your voice and hearing this inflection and passion. It's like, like for any of you, those for, okay. So for any of you clinicians that are listening right now and didn't understand a goddamn word that he just said, you're, it's okay because not a lot of us do. Okay? Mm-hmm. Just get the book, reread
0: it a few times. Here, here's the fun <laughs> thing, though, man. That's just the basics, right? I know, all that is I know. Right there, all that, awesome. that is right there is applying neurology because 15 years ago, when I was getting done with PT school, like applied neurology was the class that I just, you know, made it through and never, okay, we were spinal, tra- spinal thalamic Great, off we go. And then 10 years later, I'm like, what's the spinal eight years later? You know what I mean? And so it was just this thing, but it wasn't applied and it was so, this integrated in the way that we right. learn in right. school it's and if it's not integrated in the
1: reality is you know it's almost yeah, like one of those things you learn in the textbook and you memorize it but you don't really understand the role right. in everyday function and, and that's i think the, yeah, exactly. the piece about neurology that fascinates me and and again i'm i'm pretty much you know like i had been exposed to neurology a little bit a few years back in little bits and pieces and then you know, like, you know, like Dr. Eric Cobb, would say, like, oh, everybody's treating neurology by mistake. You know what I mean? Right. And they don't realize they're doing it. And so right. that's what I mean by, like, that really validating kind of, like, I always saw great results with hands-on work and, like, and, like, working with my athletes in a manual perspective. And I, and I tell, when I teach Rock Tape, I say, hey, listen, I, the neurological rationale for why this stuff is effective is so much more compelling than the mechanical model ever really was.
0: You know what I mean? Sure, yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. So, it's the story we're telling and the story that's been told around it. And I right. think reframing sort of the perspective around it. I think that's really what it is. And just the perspective of the body and how to look at it and approach it. Because I think, again, not that it's wrong to be musculoskeletal driven, but musculoskeletal is subservient to the brain. What's interesting, and I write about it in the book, is that your, your muscles are a direct representation of your nervous system, your muscles and glands. And what I mean by that is, like your organs, your heart—they they have an intrinsic nervous system. Uh, your your muscles and glands don't have an intrinsic nervous system. And so, if we're going to relate this to musculoskeletal, you know, and interventions, well, then—and what I mean by that—if we cut your heart out and put it in a petri dish in the right environment, it's going to continue to beat. Your 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 your. Organs will continue to have motility to it, right? Right. So it has an intrinsic nervous system, but your muscles don't. Your muscles are a direct representation of the nervous system. And so if we start anchoring the pain, and that pain is an output, and we know that consistencies of pain include uh, less representation in the brain, right, in your somatosensory cortex, so your parietal lobe and your frontal lobe. If we think about pains produce inhibitions, meaning a delay in the timing to that region, well, then if something's inhibited, something's inhibiting it. And so, if we're going to tie this to musculoskeletal, understanding neurology and understanding these principles of like neural control and uh, what happens in pain allows you to be more specific in terms of your intervention. And so, the way I talk about is like two people come in that have exactly the same presentation, piriformis pain, whatever piriformis pain. Sure, sure. uh, You know, which is really probably middle cluneal pain if we're really going to get into it, or superior cluneal pain. That's a whole other conversation, right? But, but. Two people come in presenting with the exact same pain, back of butt pain, as Gary Gray would say, and they, you do the exact same treatment, and one person walks away feeling awesome, wow, I can't believe you're a magician. Right. And the other person, you're like, what, they're like, what the hell did you do to me? And then you like lit them up, they're absolutely lit up. And you did the exact same thing. And it's because one person, what you did, either up or down regulated it, because it's what it needed to, and one person that you did it, it, it wound up the state that you were already in, right? If you stretch a tissue that's down regulated, and not connected. And what I mean by downregulate is a latency in the nervous system or a delay in the timing to be able to engage it the way you need to when you need to, then there's compens- compensation. If you if you if you downregulate that tissue, it's gonna down if you stretch that tissue, it's gonna downregulate it more. Right. right? So just understanding these principles of motor control, of how the nervous system interacts with muscles through compensation and through responses from a mechanical stress response and a chemical and a biological response and an emotional response. And it allows you to just be a little bit more specific, uh, in, in in your interventions. Right.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, again, like even just reading through it, I, I love how you consistently will relate back, you know, like aspects of musculoskeletal, but back to this and and you really seamlessly tie it back to this brain-based approach and not even just the neurology, the emotional aspect of it and having people understand, right. And so that that is treatment in and of itself. And, And you mentioned that a few times throughout the book is like, you know, um, you know naming it right, you have to name it to tame it, right? Name it so, to tame it,
0: right? Absolutely.
1: Um, and and so you know, again, super validating, and and really, I think as you get more into like you know, for a younger clinician, I think what I see is this bottleneck of their understanding where these they learn all these systems individually, but they have a really hard time understanding the connections you, between God. them or the relationships and the relationships are, are really the, or those connections are really the opportunity or where a lot of the opportunities for potential treatment actually lie is, is in these relationships yeah. between our body systems and understanding that they are inseparable. They are inseparable. Absolutely.
0: And I but I also, and I agree with you and I think that's, a couple of things come to mind. One is that that's sort of taught in school to a certain extent, sure. is kind of this like systems and this like linear thinking. And then you know, another thing is that like younger clinicians uh, don't know they don't. It took me about five years to even realize what I was missing to a certain extent, right? Like I didn't even know how much I was missing. I'll have like a Somebody that that observed me is like when I was a PT, right? they observed me, I wrote a letter of recommendation, they went to school, they became a PT. I'm now getting those kind of people that have gone and come into, and so one of those people a few years ago was talking to me, kind of observing me after she was a PT, and she said to me, I think she was like a second year PT, and and, and she said to me, and at this point I'm probably like nine years out, something like this, it was like six years ago or so, seven years, she says, uh, I gotta say, I'm a really good clinician, and I said to her, I have no doubt that you are but you don't even know what you're missing yet because you haven't had enough experience and like, touched sure. enough people. And just the cycle, you know, as younger clinicians come out, I think that's part of it. It's just like, getting your hands on a lot of people and having the space to, to experiment a little bit and to put it together. And you know, to your point about clinicians that take a lot of classes but have, a, have trouble putting it together, I think that that's something that I see a lot and nobody really gets good at any one system Before they start like expanding upon it. And so to say that differently, you'll get people that'll take like two or three classes of an eight or 10 class package, right. That like one system or thought process has, they'll take two or three, then they'll go on to the next one and they'll take two or three and they never get beyond like the, into the deeper, you know, thought process and being able to take the same, I think that everybody needs to have a, a firm foundation in whatever their foundation is and I see that people don't have a firm foundation and what that means is that their thought process has become convoluted and if you stick to one thought process and build upon it you can have an idea as to when you're deviating from it but when you don't even have a thought, like the understanding of the thought process you don't even know when you're deviating away from that one thought process right. and so that's to say that even differently I see people that throw a bunch of shit against the wall and I hope you don't have to edit that out. No. And then some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. And they don't know what's going to stick and what's going to not stick. So having a thorough thought process, I think, is really important. And that's something, again, we talk about. And that's one of the reasons I love teaching for Rock Tape is we talk about that test and retest. And what that is is like input. Input and is, the, is it an expected output. And that's really what therapy has become with me, or sessions have become, is sort of that choose your own adventure of, I know it. Here's the input I'm going to give. It, do I get the expected output? Yes or no? Yes, move on. If no, oh, okay, we got to go a little bit further into that. But it all comes from a thorough foundation. And for me, my thorough foundation, this gets back to that first question like 20 minutes ago, yeah, like my story into all this. I knew we would <laughs> get circle, there eventually. eventually. Listen, man, I know, it was just I like, this is the
1: easiest podcast ever. Because I could say like three just things. get and me just let talking.
0: You, let's just let you go. Let man. me go. I
1: know.
0: Five minutes later, I'm like, what did I even just say? Um, yeah, but that brings me, you know, like my, my thought process is, really solidly anchored into applied functional science. Gary Gray is a physical therapist, uh, uh, AFS, so that's like 3D movement is where my, and my, uh, is where my approach is. And my story into that, uh, when I decided I wanted to go to physical therapy school, which I was 26, I took five years off in between undergrad and grad school, um, and kind of decided what I wanted to do. And, uh, but when I decided I wanted to go back, my father who's in the industry, he's in the fitness industry, he gave me like 85 three-hour DVDs and like he had a big book and he said, here, watch these. And those were the Gary Gray like functional video digests, which are, you know, really expensive, and I think he did them in like, the, you know, sometime in the 90s. <clears throat> uh, but I watched those multiple times before I even went to school. Right. And so then I went to PT school and I had to like turn that off. And I went to PT school. I've been a PT now 15 years, so I had to turn that off. It got me into trouble understanding three dimensional sure. movement in PT school because I'd be like in, kinesiology class, and the teacher he talked about the hip. I'll never forget it. And they said, you know, this and this and this about the hip. And I raised my hand and go, what about this? And you know, his response was, oh, I never thought about it before. And this was like a 25 year, you know, orthopedic professor. driven professor that was. Right. So, so I had to turn that off. And then I, you know, I remember calling my dad that night and going, Dad this is what they said. And he said, we can't talk about it. You got to pass your board right. exam. So like, yeah, he and then after I got out of school, I hit like applied functional science really hard. I ended up taking the 40 week fellowship program um, very early on. And I got, and then I talked for the Gray Institute a little bit and just got very good at that thought process. And that was like 11 years, 12 years ago when I was complete with all that. So from there, I, you know, I started my own business. I always knew that I wanted to, people say, why did I become a PT? And I say, cause I, I only have joke, I wanted to wear gym shoes, sweatpants and not shave every day. And and then I, you know, show them what I'm wearing in my gym shoes. <laughs> and, and so, but that's only half true, it's only half joke. You know, I really did like, you know, comfort was important. I didn't want to sit behind the desk. I wanted to work one-on-one and all those things. So uh, out of school, I worked for a small orthopedic, outpatient orthopedic, long story short, a year after, two years after start getting out of school, I opened my own facility or started my own practice. And for the first, I don't know 11 years of my practice i rented space in other people's facilities i know we've talked about this and what a great model that is as a young clinician and even experienced clinician is to rent space in you know gyms or training studios for me it became my, my niche was like sort of training studios i didn't i felt that that allowed me a little bit more specialization um so i did that for 11 years and then started the process and now the movement guild uh we opened a year and it was a 13, 14 months ago now, and uh, you know that took a while to get open. But the movement guild is physical therapy, massage therapy, for small group personal training or individual personal training, uh, yoga slash mobility classes. We have recovery, and then we offer education as well. And the the driver behind that sort of was twofold. One, I just I, I wanted to. I don't love the outpatient model in Chicago. To be perfectly honest, like the outpatient model in Chicago, Chicago is known as one of the most hyper competitive outpatient physical therapy markets in the nation because two of the three or four, lar- three of the four largest companies in the nation at one point were housed and started in Chicago. The American Medical Association, the uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, it's all housed here. So, so it's a really interesting market. Um, and, and I just felt like it wasn't the model that I want. I felt like it was a uh, driven from the doctors and not that I don't respect and have great relationship with doctors, but I've never done a lick of marketing. We're only now starting to try to market to grow this joint, but you know, I was, it was all been word of mouth. I didn't feel like I needed to go to state of doctors, please send me your patients. And, sure. and so we kind of it grew it naturally. And, and, and on top of that, I wanted to have a similar movement philosophy. My observations of being in a lot of different places and having clinicians in different places, such as we were talking about with like the training studios, is that everybody sort of had their own agenda, right? Like the massage therapist you know, had their agenda and thought process, and the chiropractor, and then the physical therapist, and the trainers, and then the trainer that would rent from the space, and the owner. And everybody was sort of not in, disintegrated. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just wanted to have a consistent movement philosophy you know, between our, the approach. And I think that uh, that's, that's where we're at. I've been here for a year. Um, You know, my education, I've been fortunate to, I guess it's, you know, upon reflection, like, uh, very fortunate to learn from a lot of really great people. Um, And most of them are not physical therapists. I haven't really learned from a lot of people in my profession. I think that that's allowed me to sort of have a more Holistic or all encompassing approach because Uh yeah, I tend to find, and I'm trying to like feel me being gentle and tiptoeing right now, man. Like, don't uh, don't man. <laughs> uh, you know, but, like, physical listen, therapy, uh, and I'm saying like physical therapy, you no, know, it's not, it's not ingrained, and it's not taught, and and so I I have you know it's easy to like shit on your own profession, so I'm pretty good at shitting on. Mine.
1: Listen, I'm I'm in the same boat, man. I, I can I can go down the athletic training rabbit hole on you know the week, the pros, cons, all that kind of stuff, and. And, and again, my viewpoint now is like, we all have something to learn and we all have something to teach. Um, and, and, and like in doing so, like exposing yourself to other thought process takes courage, man. You know what I mean? It's easy. It's, and we talked about this at instructor summit, but it's really easy to surround yourself with people that are just like you, who think just like you, who don't rock the boat, who don't question what's been done. And I, and like when you say you're frustrated with this model and like in my head, I'm just imagining this model of the status quo, which is, which is what a lot of people experience is like, oh, what's physical therapy? And they, if you ask like a random person what physical therapy is like, oh yeah, you go in, they slap a heat pack on, ice pack on you, or they do some stim and you know, give you some band exercises. And if you think of like, oh, what's an athletic trainer do? Oh, they carry water bottles and you know, they might tape your ankle. Right. And, and we get this really like diluted down version of what like an entire profession is. Meanwhile, there's so much variance within each individual profession but I have grown so much as a clinician because I'm I've because I'm I have friends and and colleagues and mentors that are not athletic trainers and it's made me such Absolutely. a better athletic trainer and um, and I think more people need to kind of get out of their own way you know what I mean like and what I mean by their own way their own professions way and and we have like again we're all better together and it's 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 again totally I, I totally uh can vibe with with that sentiment because i get frustrated all the time you know what i mean like right now for athletic yeah. training specifically with coronavirus like i know i know dozens of people that have just been furloughed or fired because there's no sports right now you know what i mean meanwhile right. they put years and years and years and years into
0: their profession
1: it's like man that sucks um but anyway not to go far Yeah, you know, i don't want to go digress too far no but i think you know like along those lines and i
0: think you know that's some of what I firmly believe that as well. And I think like interdisciplinary collaboration is important. And I think understanding like where your lines in the sand are in terms of like what your scope is and what you can do and when you're better to refer out to somebody, we need to like think about those things. And, and I feel like I've got that pretty firmly uh, in place, right? Just, and and I talk about it in the book and and along those lines of interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary collaboration, I'm really excited because the book is sort of what I call neuro edited by a friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Trzewicki. and Mike is a, a chiropractic neurologist, and he's a fellow from the Carrick Institute. And I uh, had the opportunity to to work actually with Dr. Carrick at one point, and he's a partner in a uh, in a facility in Chicago that a couple of my good friends actually work at and are partners at. So I'm sort of fortunate because I, the neuro stuff, I, I came to it indirectly, I guess, through the Carrick Institute most immediately because uh, uh, my friend. Um, Dr. Nick Studholm, who's a chiropractor in Colorado, he's sort of the one that introduced me to a lot of the uh, brain-based, he took a Carrick Institute course through a guy named David Traster, and David's mentioned in my book, and he actually endorsed it, he's that other chiropractor in Chicago that is uh, with Mike, but uh, yeah, I took a course with, with, my, with Dave and Nick introduced me, and from there, I started taking functional neuroorthopedic rehab, or FNOR, which really helped to like, understand the thought process of the brain. And I've taken a whole bunch of other courses since then. I do a lot of reading. Uh, but Mike has been fun because what happened – and Mike actually treated me, by the way. Chapter 6, it, it includes – the book includes uh, a personal perspective and sort of what I guess is like essentially a bulked-out case study of me getting treated for uh, depression and anxiety.
1: I loved um, that you know, intro <laughs> to that chapter, by the way. But Just to interject, I was going to ask you specifically about Chapter 6, which is your case study. Um, yeah. And, and I loved it because – you tell the story but but almost you defer to Dr. Mike a lot in that chapter because yeah, he actually treated yeah. you so it's interesting to see like your perspective as as a person who who like again from reading it finally acknowledged your own suffering whereas you were really good at helping other people but maybe not as good at helping yourself. And I'm totally guilty of this as well. I'm really good at helping other people solve their problems. I am not as good at at helping myself solve my own problems. And so a, that was really humanizing. I thought B because again, like for those of you who don't know or follow Adam or have read some of his work or have listened to him speak, you know, again, you are, and I'm not just trying to blow smoke up your ass, like probably one of the most learned, and intelligent people articulate um, and then, but also you have the other things there. Like you actually give a shit, right? You really do care about your clients, you know, like even our conversations together, like going out of your, you know what I mean? Like you you go the extra mile for people. And I think to see the both together is kind of a rare package. Um, So you really expose yourself and then kind of allow Dr. Mike to, really add, I guess, like the meat of that chapter in terms of like what his... And again, probably half of it I didn't really understand or like I had to reread read it a couple of times just to make sure my terminology was correct yeah. with what my thinking was. And and again, the book yeah. lays it out where the, all the definitions are there. So it's like, okay, that makes sense. Um, but really yeah, fascinating. Think, yeah, go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to yeah, give a little you. bit more no, background no, no. on it.
0: I appreciate that. And, and I think that, you know, in a little background on that chapter because I, I like to have first thank you for your compliments and that's really hard for me to sit here and like listen to a lot of that I feel uncomfortable but a lot of what I've realized is a lot of quite honestly the reason I'm such a good clinician I think and the reason I'm so good at what I do is because of my anxiety and I'm a control freak and it's and I feel like in a lot of my life and I talk about this in the book like I didn't feel like I can control a lot of things outside of like my environment and and I still don't like in terms of my life and like my responsibilities and all that kind of stuff we all have a bunch of our own shit right so like totally creating things for me is really it provides me a sense of control and I think that's why like where the impetus is behind the book and behind the projects that I have and like always I'm always working on a couple things I think it's because I feel like I can control it and like the idea of studying and the idea of learning is something that I can like I, I can do and that's what I can uh, help myself with so so that's where some of that came from at one point when I was writing the book and it took me about three and a half years I put the book down for a year actually because as I was starting to write on this chapter actually this this higher level integration, I just felt like the poser and and, and I didn't feel like I had enough and I felt like anybody that knew this information would come into it and look at it and go like, this guy's full of shit. And I didn't feel like I could talk about it to the degree that I wanted to versus, by the way, actually I started the book writing on chapter four, which I think the pet, treating people in pain, maybe it's five, I don't know, but working with people in pain, that was the first chapter I started writing and I didn't, I chose not to include it in my first book because I didn't feel like confident enough in it because of all like the pain people out there that I knew, you know, I just didn't feel like having that conversation. So so I chose to leave it out. But, you know, I, I started writing. I got to the point with this higher level integration and my, what I told myself was I'm going to put this down for five or six months and just learn as much as I can on it and come back and write. In that time, I continued to kind of go down my spiral and I got worse in terms of being anxious and depressed. And that's when I ended up, Mike, as a friend and, um I referred people to him and clients and that's when I chose to maybe go and see him and and I got the VNG and he lays it out. As you said, there's the graph. He put me in the expensive $25,000 goggles that measure eye reactions, that and so he really lays all of that out in the book and uh, It was therapeutic for me, I think, to like talk about it and put it together and like recognizing it was also An impetus for me to learn more on it which it really i dove in hard in that time i'm lucky because i hang out with mike and dave truster often and i I can ask them when i'm going questions right like we sit and have beers all the time and and so i can i get a lot of that sort of that tutoring but what it's done for me also is that's when i realized and mike and i kind of collaborated i said hey what are you interested in his role kind of expanded i said are you interested in writing this chapter maybe putting some and it just kept going the book initially when it was at 50,000 words or 45,000 words when he came in and now it's at 85 or eight, close to 90,000 words. And so, uh, but, but he kind of adds his, he adds his neural piece to it and his approach on, you know, the neurological, because I'm musculoskeletal driven, applying a brain-based approach. He's a brain-based approach applying musculoskeletal. Right. And, and, we, and we talk about a lot of that. And it's so kind like it's a yin and funny. And it's yang. a really good mix. Right. Yeah, it's like yeah exactly right. Rich. I think it adds a lot of mix. And, and totally. yeah and so he we also have a couple case studies in there like towards the back about what is his thought process for clinical dysfunction and he offers a couple case studies as well so i'm excited about it i think you know reflecting upon myself over the years and having taken some of those like personality tests colby index or all that kind of stuff like i have recognized that my strengths lie in uh i'm really good at saying you need to know this person like right like putting people together and also information together and like putting pieces of information together that at first glance shouldn't necessarily be able to go together. But when you take a step back, actually really complement each other really well. And so that's what the book is, I think.
1: No, man, it is. I mean, again, like, you know, I think the title definitely nails it. I remember, I think we were texting back and forth when you were like, Hey, I got a couple of different title ideas, but you know, uh, a, I like your whole, like the idea, like the foundations movement, just going back to what you said earlier is like how a lot of people don't, they don't go far enough down one path to learn how that path integrates with other thought process. Right. So they keep it all shallow. And so like, even for right. my story, like the way I relate that to was, you know, my first job at the university of Florida was exactly the experience that you mentioned, which was, I had a bit of autonomy and they were basically like putting me in a situation where I got my hands on 50 to hundred athletes a day. And, and, and that, and I do, and, and I've, I've spoken about this on other podcasts, other people's podcasts, other episodes on my podcast where that singular experience set me down this course because I got to see, wow, like unbelievable changes that people would, would have, or athletes would have. And then the cases where that didn't happen, but it was the same presentation. So it's like, all of a sudden your mind just starts like, well, you know, especially earlier in your career, if you you get stuck in this whole, like you need an if then statement to make it make sense. Um, But then as you, Kind of really expand on the foundation and, and your foundational knowledge of of whatever specific topic at that time for me it was manual therapy um, now I can go now I'm learning like all of this functional neurology integrated neurology whatever you want to call it, and it's just and it's actually like blooming my manual therapy skill set you know what I mean it's actually taking that manual therapy skill set and it's elevating it even further, but like you said, had I not gone all the way down that ra- that rabbit hole first you don't know, you know, you have to hit the end of it. You have to get to the end right. so that you can back out and start to explore these other tunnels. You know what I mean? Um,
0: yeah, I, I, I really
1: love, and again, you, you really do a great job in the book of examining, you know, again, these are dense topics. It's not, uh, and it, it's such a undertaking. And but I think e- writing a book a is a huge undertaking, but B, like this kind of topic, where there is so many varying schools of thought and, and there's so there's such dichotomy even within the rehab industry of uh, what the best approach is. And and I really, it's laughable at times how, how, um, how argumentative people can be, especially on the internet and social media about like, no, this is the only way. And it's like, really? Like 2020, you still, we're still yeah. stuck in a singular mindset when it comes to things like, and I was going to ask you this question directly, but you know, you have a, your background is also in massage therapy, right? You were a massage therapist before you went back to PT yeah.
0: school. No, I was, I went oh. to massage therapy after I was a PT.
1: After. Oh my gosh. This is yeah. better then.
0: And the reason is the reason is because I was, I was, uh, my PT program was the last program at my school to have the masters and they were transitioning to DPT the next year. Mm -hmm. And so DPT programs, I believe were like, you need 93 credit hours. And most masters programs are like 63 credit hours or 65. And I had like 85 or 89. I was like really, really close. And so I graduated with that. And then they set up a transitional DPT for us that I got started in and enrolled in. And right at that time, I was starting my own gig and just really kind of like, Starting to build it off, a couple days a week, I rented a space and it was this total side thing and before I really jumped all the way in. Um, and I was starting to get people that wanted to pay me cash and not go through insurance. And in the state of Illinois at that time, even if you wanted to pay a physical therapist cash and not go through insurance, you needed a doctor's prescription. Right. And I'm looking at all these like manual massage therapists that are way less skilled, like paying cat. I'm like, What am I doing here? So I, I qualified into 50% of the program. I bartered with them and taught anatomy and kinesiology for free. And I got my massage therapy license. I've done one massage in my professional career. I didn't know I was gonna do it until I walked into the room and she was naked under the covers. <laughs> and I don't think it I I don't think it worked out for either one of us the way we anticipated it. Let me just put it that way.
1: That is amazing. And so but I you know, refer I,
0: I refer to massage service. But what it's done for me is it's really like gotten me really good at technique of of working with people and like body technique and different techniques with my hands and you name the massage therapy course or a manual therapy course i've probably taken it or know something about that right? like so it helps sure. help me solidify and what i also noticed is that massage therapists are like way better at body positioning at working on people than any physical therapist i ever met like i you know i joke when i'm in a class and we're actually teaching live i'm like oh you're a massage therapist you're a physical therapist oh, just totally. by watching how people like work on people oh
1: totally man so yeah you know, and fine. again it's like so, yeah, I, got it each... I got it
0: afterwards i got it afterwards.
1: Yeah. Each schooling kind of has its pros and cons and strengths and weaknesses and, you know, but there's an art and a science. And, and I do think the best clinicians understand and can blend both. And, you know, like, you know, you can have all the finer points education wise of manual therapy, this and that, but there's still an art to the actual delivery of that treatment that needs to be done at a high level too. Like you can have high level thinking, but a really crappy experience and that ruins what your whole thought, you know what I mean? Like you might be dead on the money from clinical reasoning perspective and you offer somebody a, a crappy experience and you just, you just shot yourself in the foot. Um, and so right. the, where yeah, I was that, going with that yeah. is, you know, and I'm re- you know, and again, like, because I'm so active on social media, th- there seems to be this like divisive or this divide where it's like evidence based practitioners who are also anti-manual therapy. Right. So it's like evidence based practitioners who are, his, why don't you just scientists. call out his name, man?
0: Call out his name. Let's cause some controversy. Call I mean, it out. I'm joking. Joe. I mean, there's, I know, but, but there's so
1: many of them, right? There's, <laughs> it, it's not just one person, <laughs> <I know. clears throat> Adam Meekins, which again, I, I follow and I understand and I, and I, and I understand the perspective, but you know, I feel like it's like they're not mutually exclusive things. And so, like, we've created, no, they're this not, divide. and they're complementary. They can be. Yeah. Right, they can
0: be but it's systems and stories we tell. What do you so... say to those people?
1: What do you say cuz like you read this, I read this and all I can think of is like man, this is like this is like the the I'm, I'm trying to think of the right What do I, I say what do I say to those people? What do
0: I say to those people in my that head? Or what do I say to on, those
1: people? Poo-poo on understanding that touches an input just like any other input. That you can use, and so well, again, what do I say in my head, Mike,
0: or what do I say on social media?
1: <laughs> well, I want to know what you say on social media first, and then I want to know what you say. I don't your say head. anything is, anymore. Listen, I used is... to get
0: really invested in it, right? I used I used to have the reputation of like I, I don't say much. it's like we were just talking about. Like I won't say anything. I observe in social media, and as soon as somebody says something, like for a long while, as soon as somebody would say something that like open themselves up, and I and I would only. Jumped in. I still only jump in when I can really back it up. I do it sure. far less. But I like you know I would kind of go in and jab, and I think like point. So I stopped doing that because I found it to be like a waste of my time and and energy. Sure. And I found felt like it was finite. So I don't really comment that much anymore. But you know, yeah. But like my my response to that is like, how can you say biomechanics doesn't matter? Even if it's uh, temporary, and even if it's not biomechanically driven the issue, you're going to move around pain and not through it. And over time, moving around pain, not through it's going to result in some tissue being longer than other on one side of the other, which inherently causes like a, A reaction that's a functional; it's not a structural reaction, right? And it's a it's a response. But then, then your mechanics are going to be off. And one side's going to stay short and never get fully long, and one side's going to get long and never stay long and never get fully short. Pressure difference change. There's no pressure difference in the tissue if it can't get fully long to short. Mismatching those inputs
1: neurologically, right? So now there's a mismatch of information (laughs) proprioceptively. Yeah, totally.
0: So, so if we think that, like, if we think pain is an output and we understand that. Why not provide a temporary why not change the input even temporarily like when I click a joint, I love clicking joints right or even if I do massage or I do or whatever a deep stretch i 'm not trying to change the tissue i 'm trying to provide an, a quick change in the input, like an afferent input and to open up the me, to open up the window really like to change that the The response up so we can change the response out so to say that biomechanics doesn't matter when i can temporarily provide more motion at a joint that i can then reinforce through movement to maintain the motion in the joint based on continuing to have pressure difference in one tissue to the other well what i would say to them is you're fucking short-sighted in your thought process
1: absolutely what i want to say
0: to them in my head because i was hoping you'd say what do you say to them in your head yeah what
1: do you say to them in your head i want to know i want to know the inner work i want you know and i have come
0: really close to a couple of saying like let's get on stage together in front of a group of our peers and treat somebody and let's actually see like what how somebody what the experience is of somebody afterwards dude and, and you're talking I about like, like iron chef a
1: big, clinical experience style right <laughs> like, can we do that can we do that and And create a stadium where clinicians can enter you know. the ring and bout their technical i mean put your money where stage. your
0: mouth is it's really easy to like put your mouth where sure. nothing, and no money is
1: right absolutely but, and, oh, and you, you know and in terms
0: of that like In terms of that idea of, like, evidence-based, I think, well, Dr. Sackett's the father of evidence-based medicine. Dr. Sackett says that 20 to 30% of an evidence-based practice should come from research. The reality is, if you read all the studies, you're never going to be able to do anything with it because you're going to be reading 80 hours a day because there's so much studies that come out. The reality is, is that 20, 30%, so the rest comes from patient wants and needs and clinical acumen. And let's think about the idea of integration versus disintegration, because disintegration expresses itself in chaos and rigidity. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's not integrated, it is disintegrated, and it's going to have some expression of chaos and or rigidity. Think about exercises that are isolated and like how hard you got to you know, brace yourself and you become rigid. So, sure. so for me, if it's the very nature of research, while it's important and we need to anchor to it, is disintegrated. And it's impossible to look at the entire, you can't separate out one thing from the other without changing the nature of it. Yeah, and like so, so to only anchor to what research says, like, I think that's short-sighted because, you know, in my experience, and I'm not saying don't anchor research, I think everything that I do, I think what I use, things that are not verifiable by research, such as muscle testing, for example, is to guide me to stuff that I can anchor in a research. Yes. And I can find any objective, anything that I, it just allows me to get there quicker. So I'm, I'm anchoring to objectivity. That's why I get so much objective information. Like I get a lot of objective information on people that's really objective information, not goniometric measurements, not any of that. I'm looking at modified clinical tests of sensory integration and balance and limits of stability and that dynamometer strength and hand dynamometer. So things that we can anchor to and look at And that allows me to be a little bit more esoteric sometimes. And in my experience, as long as I'm anchored to research, okay? And that's the important piece. And as long as like what I'm giving them for homework is anchored in a research, but how I get there or not, and how I choose to intervene to get there, as long as the patient's feeling better when they walk out the door. And in my experience, strictly working from a evidence-based place, meaning what the research says, patients or clients oftentimes don't leave feeling a difference. Right right? Like they, they, and you might be exactly on track, but if you're not, they're not feeling a difference, you're not getting their buy-in. And so mm-hmm. I think what I want to do is have people get bought in really quickly. And you could do that sometimes in ways that are less objectifiable by what research has to say you do it by. Sure. As long as I'm anchoring the research, but these people that you work with, they're going to see differences quickly if you apply it, anchoring it to the research. So you, I dude, would say I, I let's think get you, on yeah. stage.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head, man, because like, you know, I, I love the quote, like, you know, the, the, the mind can be convinced, but the heart must be won. And and one of my things that I teach my students is you have to show somebody a win early in the process, some win Absolutely. that they can hold or tie some hope to, you know, and again, I'm, and I know you're the same way, but I, a lot of my athletes I get are, have been through the system. And I know that, you know, and I've referred people to you the same way, like that of, been through the system and not gotten that result. And it's so frustrating. And again, in your book, you always tie back to like parasympathetic dominance, or at least achieving a state of parasympathetic dominance, you know, where people who are in pain, people who are anxious, people who are dealing with a stress for a while, get stuck in this survival mode, and they're not going to want to learn something new. So even if you're exercise programming is dead on the balls accurate in terms of what that person needs are a you have to convince them to execute b you have to get them to execute consistently despite not feeling great um and so if you can show that win early in the process or at least set their nervous system up utilizing a manual approach or like you said i love that you at the movement guild are integrating like yoga and meditative work and breath work like breath work is one of the the first things I teach an athlete and, and it's, it blows my mind how it's such low hanging fruit that not everybody does it. You know what I mean? We just go right. Well, and we
0: also, you know, I totally agree. I also think that like, if you're going to come out of those consistencies of pain is you're going to be sympathetic in nature. Right. Right. Versus parasympathetic. And, sure. and the other consistency is that like if for you to learn, and create neuroplasticity in a way that we want and set up like new behaviors, you're not gonna learn a new behavior if you're sympathetic in nature. You need right. to set up parasympathetic. And if somebody comes into me and they have pain or dysfunction, there's probably a behavior that's contributing to it. And there's probably something that they need to learn. And so we gotta set up an environment for them to learn it and to do that. You know, so early, object- early interventions with me are like to get you out of pain quick, but also to like point out where, you're, like, where your opportunities for like what behavior needs to change, we need to let you know, because they come in they don't even know they don't know that they have a behavior that's contributing to it. So we need to make that learn. And, and I talk about this in the book. And the book, by the way, really, I wrote the book and the working title for the book for three years was Fundamentals of Intervention. And I was challenged by a friend and colleague, he's actually the soft tissue uh, therapist for the LA Clippers, Lenny Parasino, who's a friend and mentor. I taught with him a few years ago. And and he said, "Well, if we're going to teach together. Then we need to make sure we're anchoring to the same consistent principles. If what we're going to teach fundamental, we'll show how you know how we apply them differently." And so we came up with what my fundamentals of intervention are, and that's really what the book was written around, and that's what the structure of the book is. We changed the foundation of the bit just because it just sounded a little more snazzy. We want quick, we're brainy, and, and, I and I think in think intervention maybe it's a little, okay, it's a little
1: more think. encompassing too
0: because it's um, more specific. Yeah, because it's, it's more not specific. just intervention, intervention. You're going to think like right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to, yeah. And you're going to think intervention. You're going to think like, I got to get somebody into like treatment facility
1: or something. Yeah. Well, the, right. and, and again, even like one of the other elements that I really love and, you know, and again, this is what I mean by so validating because, you know, you are somebody that I look up to and admire clinically and to yeah. see that I've kind of, and again, I've only known you recently within the last couple of years. And even then I've, you know, we interact like texting and on, you know, social media a bit, but like, I've only actually hung out with you in person like twice.
0: You know yeah, what I mean? right.
1: Exactly. And so exactly. for me, you know, when you start to talk about how, you know, everything is an evaluation, everything's an assessment, like, tr- you know, like test, retest, test, retest. And so one of the things I've always taught my athletic training students is treatment is a diagnostic. If you're not evaluating the result that you get, like you are leaving information on the table that you can use to form even better strategies as you move forward. And I think young clinicians, and again, the way we're taught in school is that the assessment is independent of the intervention. And I think, again, one of the themes I see in the best clinicians is the seamless. And here's this word again, integration of where you're constantly constantly evaluating what the results are based on what you're doing. And so, you know, like even for me, like I do my first session for my, my clients as an eval treat and that's the way I market it. Eval treat that they're, you know, like I'm going to evaluate you and then I'm going to treat you. What they don't realize is I'm putting hands on, I'm evaluating you still. You know what I mean? I'm still gathering information uh, on your case just by now, like through, through just a different lens of touch and how things feel and how you respond to touch and what your nervous system is displaying to me or how you even respond to that first session. Um and so that kind of sets the stage for a lot of the things that I do session two, three, four, five, whatever, and however long that person's working with me. So again, super validating in the sense that, and again, you just articulate it so well, uh again, okay. seamlessly through the chapters that I've read so far, that I, you know, again, I'm just like the book takes me back and forth from like, yeah, man, like kind of like my ego going, like, see Mike? you're doing some really cool stuff, mm-hmm. right? And then it takes you yeah. to like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this was a thing. And like getting well, my brain going good. like, oh my gosh, I can't yeah. wait to learn more about this.
0: <laughs> well, you know what, that's, that's exactly, I mean, that's sort of my goal. I think I did say it early in the book. And certainly when I teach, my goal when I say this, whenever I teach is to impart information that you can use right away. And, you know, when I'm teaching for rock tape. Monday, I want you to be able to get better and know, have some techniques, but I also, my goal when I'm teaching is also to always leave you with more questions than you came to answers with. Mm -hmm. And then that gets into, but then I want, I'm also going to give you all the places to go learn it from, and I'm not going to hide that. And I've had experiences with some, quite frankly, major names in our industry where I've taken courses from them. And I go to them, I would, like I've done with every single course I ever take ever, I go to the instructor afterwards and give them my appreciation while nobody else is around and say, who, can you point me in some direction? Who did you learn from? And I've always gotten answers about who, except for when, when and that was all you know, brushing off. A theoretical, theoretical physicist in jiu-jitsu, that was the answer. And I was like, thank you, I'm never learning from you again. Mm-hmm. And so from that, uh, I'm always, you know, I'm hyper vigilant about giving everybody credit that I learned everything from. I don't make things up. I'm not, I'm not that brain. And so I give credit to to it all. And, And again, like to tie this back to what you were just saying, like my goal is always to give information and also leave you wanting you know, to places to go learn more. And that's really what the book is. In the first chapter, it says, look at this as a stepping stone yep. to go and learn more about all of these individual chapters because all of these chapters are in themselves like 150 or not even more plus hour courses, you know what I mean? Sure. And, that, and it's really just bringing it together and putting it in, just trying to expose how they can go together for then the, you know, the person that's reading it to go learn it on their own.
1: Yeah, man. That's I mean, there's m- multiple chapters where it's like, here are the references from this, and here are some additional reading. Like you lay it out, every like, single chapter. Here, every yeah, single every chapter. Single right. Chapter Here's your recommended sure. reading if you want to dig a little bit deeper. And I and I love that you 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 expose the concepts, you tie it into real cases, real experience, and then and then again give more. And I think this is for anybody who doesn't have any experience with neurology. This might be a great place for you to start. Um, and and because well, you really, really understand yeah, where. These things tie into, again, if you have maybe your background stronger, more strongly anchored in musculoskeletal, this is going to show you the, the, the relationships and the links between the two and then allow you to expand that further beyond beyond the scope of even this book. And so, uh, I, again, man, I think you've done a tremendous service to our industry um thank you. in well, writing thank this you. too so thank you for that man and it, it really is thank you, man, you it. Yeah.
0: thank you man i appreciate it yeah the kind words and it, again it is just a place it's it's really when you start getting into the nuts of it like when we get in neurology this is amazingly superficial too like that's the interesting and what i would encourage your for your your listeners or watchers here as they're as they're starting to integrate this information is recognize how complex it is and understand but here's where like understanding anatomy is if you're going to know integrated motion you need to understand anatomy Right, and if you're going to apply, if you're going to apply three-dimensional motion, you need to understand anatomy, and it's exactly the same with with understanding the brain and neurology. If you're going to understand, if you're going to, you, you need to understand the anatomy the if anatomy you're going to apply it, it. Sure. Right. And, and, and because the output's going to be the same. I have you do look at something. The output, the visual dysfunction, the the motor dysfunction is going to be the same, but the pathway up and out is where it takes really deaf, in-depth knowledge to no, know, which I'm still learning myself. And what I'm getting at here is, as you're learning it, even really basic superficial concepts that we talk about in the book here, like understanding that a pursuit is, you know, driven from the parietal lobe on the same side, all those kind of things that's super complex, but it's also, it's really simplified, and it'll allow you to apply it and see if you're on the right track or not. And understanding that you might not, this doesn't give the whole picture and you're going to have to get more in depth and and it doesn't lay it all out and it's not designed to It's just designed for these people that you're having, you know, bridging the gap, like again, like a brain based approach to working with people in musculoskeletal pain. And so uh, The goal is to go learn more from all these people, including Z health, including Mike wiki and you know all these other people functional neuro ortho and You know, there's all these people that are talking about the brain that's doing it in a really fun way. It's actually funny because uh, I taught an online webinar not too long ago and about the brain and I got accused of like ripping off Eric Cobb and Z-Health. And the funny thing is, is, Eric Cobb wrote an endorsement for the book and he knows I've never taken it And he, you know, the, the comment was, you know, you're talking about cerebellar testing and Z-Health talks about that. It's like, well, the reality is it's like Z-Health, and Eric Cobb does an amazing job of putting it together, and I've encouraged everybody to go learn from him. I really enjoy my experiences with him so far. But testing cerebellum, testing cerebellum, it's not like, you know, nobody made anything up right, at this point. So, right. and, as well, and that ties back into, like, giving credit where it's due, talking about these other people that are doing it, not saying that I made anything up. It's just, hey, here's my approach to it. Take it or leave it. If you want to learn, learn it from someone else and leave it, go learn from these people. That's really good. It's to funny,
1: play. man. I've been accused of the same stuff, and it's like, listen, you know, even – And the best ones in our industry never plant a freaking flag in the ground. you know what I mean? Like the best minds in our industry never do that. They always give credit to the other people that they've learned from. And no knowledge is, you know, unique to you, right? It's all been pulled from somebody else and reworked and re, you know, like maybe thought about through a different lens and repackaged. And, and, and again, like what you've done is taken all of these experiences and all of these things that you've learned over the years and you've, And, and you've put it together in your thought process, which again, I always like to go back to like, you know, the, the old Bruce Lee kind of adage, which is taking what you find that's useful and adapting it, rejecting what you find is useless and then making it uniquely your own. And then, and then this is a succinct, you know, um, surface level look into how your brain thinks, because it's so much more complicated than even this book probably gives it credit for, um, and again, that I, I think Absolutely. that's speaking to your intelligence more so than like a negative against the book. It's not, it's, it's, you do a great job of like introducing these complicated topics and simplifying to the point where it's actually learnable and and, and applicable for somebody who's looking to expand their own clinical set. Um, but it's so complicated, you know, and like people always ask me like, Oh, how do you as an athletic trainer, you know, how do you know what you know? And it's like, Man, like, I, I, I didn't enjoy my 20s. Life-long learning. I, I was a nerd. Yeah, it's right. about learning. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I was an introvert that read a lot and didn't go out, and I worked a lot, and I did a lot of hours, and I had a lot of time in the trenches with my athletes. And, you know, how do you quantify that or qualify that? You can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, just, right. Right. it's just constantly, constantly. asking the why question. It's constantly right. seeking the answer or, or not accepting a simple answer to a complex problem. You know what I mean? I think a lot of Indeed. people are just willing to accept a simple answer and not go, that doesn't make fully, that doesn't totally make a lot of sense. And I was, it's just
0: so funny. Well, but you know, for, for some people, and, and then I'm sorry, I have a patient you know, and I got I would love to keep talking. Yeah, 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 about, no, I gotta, totally. But uh, you know, some people are uh, just comfortable like doing what they do and getting people better that they don't, that they do. And the ones that don't, well, they didn't do their homework right or they missed this or this. and Right, right. They, you know, they didn't do something.
1: Thing. They project that loss onto the person. Well, anyway, let's, let's, I know you have a client. This I've got a client awesome, coming man. up soon. Um, let, yeah, just to wrap you. this, this up. Dude, this is a lot of fun, man. I always love, enjoy talking to you. We're def- I would love for you to come thank on you. the podcast again another time and jam with us and teach.
0: Absolutely. Let's do I that. love learning from yeah. you.
1: Um, and even just getting your videos of you working on your drum kit and like killing it. I love that too. Uh, Adam and I thank share a, a, a passion for percussion. Even though I'm long out of the game, I bought a new set. I bought a
0: new set when I finished this book, actually. I bought a new set. Good, so. man.
1: Treat yourself. But the book is Foundations <laughs> of Movement, uh, a Brain Based Musculoskeletal Approach. It's available on Amazon as a Kindle download, as well as the paperback was just released. Um, I highly recommend it. I even bought another copy for uh, Warren Kelly, who's the strength and conditioning coach. We were talking recently um, about kind of some of this top down stuff, and, and he was really interested in it. and, As soon as I started diving into the Kindle version, um, I, I thought of him and just again, as a great for somebody, again, on the strength and conditioning side. You know, what's all musculoskeletal. To you know, for him to start to understand some of this stuff is how we integrate our two businesses together. And well, it's I really easy enough to add an
0: eye exercise to a strengthening exercise. You know what I mean? And like man, you listen, there's plenty
1: of op- exactly. You know, but you don't yeah. know the opportunities are there until you understand. You know, like you have to know that the opportunity is there in order for you to take it. And so, I think this is yep. a great exposure opportunity. So, again, um, thank I, you. I highly recommend the book. Go check it out on Amazon, Amazon Kindle. Um, it's definitely a great read. I'm looking forward to finishing it and getting the rest of this information. Um, Adam, really quickly, if people want to reach out to you directly, if they want to contact you uh, or the movement guild, if they're looking for a session, what are the ways that people can reach you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Instagram, uh, uh, Adam Wolf, P-T-W-O-L-F-P-T, uh, Facebook, same thing. My email address, and you can link it, but it's Adam at the Movement Guild Chicago, and that's my website, the Movement Guild Chicago, as well. So that's where you can find me. Happy to help any way I can.
1: Adam, thank you so much, man, for coming on. Thank I you for your time today, man. It was a lot of fun. So quickly, but uh, best of luck with do it again. and the new book. Congratulations! Uh, I, I hope to see you soon, my friend. Yes, ma'am. Soon. So, talk to you soon. Thanks again. You're most welcome. Take care, bud.
0: Take care. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to The Movement Underground Radio. If you like the episode, please subscribe so that you're notified when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram at The Movement Underground. You can follow me on Instagram at Mike Stella underscore ATC. Please visit us on the web at TheMovementUnderground.com and check out our YouTube channel at The Movement Underground. If any of you guys have any questions or would like to leave a comment, please do so or reach out to us through any one of those channels. We'd be happy to get back to you. Uh, If you would like to be featured on the Movement Underground Radio, definitely drop us a line and we can talk. So we hope you liked it, and we'll see you guys next time.